0: This is the one with a hard rock buffet.
1: A not quite, but almost literal cliffhanger,
0: and a theoretical absurdity.
1: It's called the Stones of Blood.
0: Here, Here we go. go.
1: We're embarking on a voyage all through time and all through space, counting Daleks, Dalempoot, and the Cybertronic race. Centaurs look like taters, and Silurians all have wonky scales. And the Doctor has a tardis. We're reviewing all his tales. Who way and Reviewing all of who there is back when subscribe and rate or night news please episode by episode we're trudging down this road. come join us on this odyssey what other choice
0: could there be that who back when hello there beautiful people out there in podcast land you are listening to another episode of who back when a doctor who podcast
1: or doc past
0: doc past indeed Who was that beautiful vocal interluder?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Why, it was me, Leon. Hello there.
0: I doff my cap to you, sir. Hello, Leon.
1: (laughs) I pretend to wear a cap and doff it right back at
0: you. (laughs) Who are you? Me, I'm Jim.
1: Very nice to be chatting with you, Jim.
0: We are chatting virtually.
1: That's right. We're on Skype.
0: Other video conferencing services are available.
1: Of course. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, so this is still a bit new ground. Leon's got one under his belt now for this, but it's getting up to speed in the same way that we'll be getting up to speed with this episode, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, that's true. I, I should say JD and I used to record over Skype.
0: Oh, that's very true. You're an old master at this.
1: <laughs> but now there are lots more wires feeding into my end of it anyway. Hey
0: all <laughs> Wait, what are we talking about today? What are we talking about? We are talking about the Stones of Blood.
1: Is that a round number in episode terms?
0: Well, it's funny you should say that because <laughs> it happens to be C100.
1: What? The 100th classic story. Holy oh, moly.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: And what an episode for the centenary! <laughs>
0: Yes, this is quite a special one and in many different ways. And I'm not quite sure if we'll be able to dive in and out and do it all justice.
1: <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out, I think, as we go along. But like, high level, are you a fan or are you not a fan?
0: I actually don't know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, fantastic.
0: I think, I think I'm a fan. I think I was just a Mm. little slow to become a fan. (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm a fan
1: as well, but, you know, in in the way that I enjoy really crap schlock sometimes as well. Yeah. So um, this is going to be a fun conversation. I can feel it. I can feel it in my bones. Shall we elucidate podcast land as to what this episode is all about?
0: Indubitably.
1: Time for us to synopsize, labify, and summarize. So take a view and, and grab a break. and listen to this overview. This free for all, we like to call a bicep chunk of
0: who? chunk of who? The fourth Doctor, Romana the First, and K9 head off to Earth, Cornwall specifically, to find the third segment of The Key to Time. Coincidentally, it was around about the time of the production. But that doesn't mean we can't also have crazy nutbar druids trying to summon the goddess Kiliak <laughs> at this local stone circle for undisclosed reasons.
1: Fortunately, in lieu of the authorities, units, or anyone else who might be worth calling in, Doc and co. are joined by semi-senile spark plug and Estelle Getty wannabe, Professor Rumford, and together they face off against a hyperspace renegade and her blood-sucking solid rock henchman.
0: Please over... over You You are are welcome. welcome. Where do you want to start? I wanted to start, I think, questioning who thought stone monoliths were a threatening villain. Well,
1: apparently they weren't always meant to be just stone monoliths. Oh, really? Yeah, originally they were envisioned as just stone monsters, moving monsters with stone skin.
0: Uh, Yeah, that would have been better.
1: Yeah, but this was then deemed to be slightly too expensive, it was too production heavy, and consequently they turned them, I think appropriately so, into... Henge stones. Yes. <laughs> How do you feel about them? Do they do they work for you?
0: I don't mind the idea of them being big blocks of stone moving around and, yeah, they could crush you or whatever. It's the fact that they basically are a bit personified that is weird. Like, there's an entire race, isn't it? Yeah. The, uh, the Can ogri, they communicate? I don't know.
1: <laughs> are there and just it, a few of them? Were they imprisoned with her? Do we ever find out?
0: I don't think we do. What we do get is a slight implication that the ogre is etymolistic. Etymolo- (laughs) has the same word origin as ogre yes exactly So are they meant to be what fueled the ogre myth? I don't quite believe that. Like, a big lumbering giant monster is a bit different to a lump of stone.
1: Yeah, I wonder if maybe that's a remnant of the original vision of what... Well, of the ogre. Yeah. If they're gigantic, they could easily be giants. They could... uh, And if they're the muscle, they could easily be the ogres. Yeah. But then I wonder how that then feeds into the stone circle. Like, did the original scripts not have a stone circle? Because it makes perfect sense for them to just look like like the stones in a stone circle.
0: I guess it it would be fairly easy for them to morph from solid stone form to a humanoid stone form.
1: Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, that's true.
0: But we can only guess what the original intention was, I suppose. Do you think the original intention was that this was Stonehenge as well? Because this is a another stone circle, yeah. of which there, there are many in Th- the UK. That's and- true.
1: I mean, I assumed that this was Stonehenge to the degree where when I had only seen two minutes of this serial, I texted you and said, hey, it's got Stonehenge and Druids. It's yeah. a win.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's I mean, set in I, Cornwall. Yeah, I hadn't picked up on the Cornwall bit, actually. I don't think they ever really referred to the location much beyond the intro, do they?
1: No, I don't think so either.
0: But, so, shall we set a better scene? Okay. This, this is... This is a stone circle. It's referred to as the nine travellers in sort of folklore. That's right. But there aren't nine stones making up this circle. There are more than that.
1: Uh, Correct. I think. Isn't that the whole thing? Like, there are too many stones. So where did these extra stones come from? Oh, they are the ogre.
0: Oh, is that it? I think so. So I guess that would fit.
1: Yeah, although they've been there for 4,000 years, presumably. So was there a census taker 4,001 years ago? (laughs) (laughs) This may also just be a detail that I've missed a little bit but I remember in the beginning there being a line to the effect of don't worry about the discrepancy like there is a discrepancy in terms of the name and the actual amount of stones it, in fact it may be the other way around it may be that there are nine stones but one of them is an ogre who's then moved away who's just gone elsewhere
0: uh, yeah maybe it was that. I forget the detail to be honest there's definitely the implication that the ogre weren't there at the start correct like with other stone circles there was a possible calendar or mythological use behind it you know, they're never quite sure. But all, basically all the things that we suspect Stonehenge may have been used for were thrown out as dialogue by the doctor to say this is what this Stone Circle was for.
1: Yeah, exactly. It, you know, greatly value your your heritage sites. If you have time this weekend, go to your local Stone <laughs> Circle.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was a good thing for the... Uh, Absolutely. The not National Trust. Which one is it? Oh, uh, English Heritage. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly.
1: I'd like to point out at this juncture as well that I've got the Ogre down in my notes as the Rocky Balboa was
0: <laughs> nice so we got this stone circle yep and because we're in the key to time arc we are obviously here to find a piece of the key to time and Doctor Romanov think it's one of these stones. They go straight for that stone circle, don't they? And they yeah, they're testing what it could possibly be when they get interrupted by the most boring professor in the world.
1: <laughs> ah, yes, Estelle Getty, uh, Emilia Rumford, the Professor Bumbletron of this episode. Who yes. is? Uh, I mean, I get severe Estelle Getty vibes off her. This is. We have two Golden Girls in this episode. We have her, who is the Sophia of Golden Girls fame. Estelle Getty, by the way, played Stallone. Mum in stop or my mum will shoot. Maybe that's that's a oh, more yeah. vivid recollection. She's wonderful. I thought at first that she was a dreadful actress, can barely remember her lines. She stumbles over the ones that she actually can remember. But then it becomes very clear that no, 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 she's acting her heart out. Yeah, <laughs> she's doing a terrific job of playing this semi senile individual, this this very bumbly academic.
0: Yeah, I t- I think to start with. I was very much a oh it's a, a bumbling professor character. It's a bit of a trope, and she's been made intentionally incredibly boring. Like the dialogue <laughs> she's giving is just so dry and so long. <laughs> but isn't it
1: nice? Where every single time that she delivers one of her little soliloquies, Tom Baker's doctor just starts to drift, and yeah. you can see his interest waning. It's just, I think it's hilarious.
0: Yeah, I, I think that was the thing. Like I I was taking it at face value to start with. It's like oh they they've just written a really boring professor, but then. <laughs> <laughs> playing up to it it's uh, which was really nice actually the, I think there's, there's quite a nice interplay actually at the start when they're they're all in that stone circle setting for the first time I've got a couple of like laughing notes around the um, doctor talking about when they first go out of the TARDIS like anyone for tennis which is basically the English equivalent of saying anyone want to come outside and get wet <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's a good one. And then I forget the exact dialogue that ha- leads up to it, but K9 misinterprets something about, you know, erasing his memory banks concerning tennis. And then it goes, "Memory erased." Oh yeah. He's <laughs> <laughs> just, just forgotten everything about tennis now. <laughs> I
1: totally forgot about that myself, actually, ironically.
0: And then um, the other woman with the professor is Vivian Fay.
1: That's right, Blanche Devereaux.
0: Who, I wish I could remember the girls better to get your references.
1: She is Blanche Devereaux in my notes because she looks so much like her. I I can't remember the name of the actress who played her, but holy moly, does she look a lot like her. I've got an interesting bit of trivia about her, actually, or about this character. And at the same time, I'm going to raise a beaker because... What's her name again? Uh, I can't remember what. Vivian. Vivian Fay was originally going to be played by, or at least it was suggested that she be played by Honor Blackman. Oh, wow. Pussy Galore. Honor Blackman, who, I'm very sorry to say, passed away only a few days ago.
0: Yeah, that was a sad one. And yeah, that would have been an interesting casting choice. I, I think I liked the uh, actress playing Vivian Faye. It was a bit yeah, of so a weird I. role, as we will explore, I'm sure. But um, <laughs> she's, she's called Susan Engel. Okay. And she's Austrian, or at least born in Austria. Okay, yeah,
1: uh, fair enough. Fair enough. What do, you mean, what do I mean, fair <laughs> enough? Fair enough.
0: Um, I I didn't recognize her. It looks like she's done a lot of Shakespeare-y stuff, actually. Oh, okay. Quick quick perusal of her career, a lot of theater. Some random bits from from television. But yeah, she she ends up having a meaty role in this because she uh, obviously turns out to be the main antagonist.
1: Yes, which I'm sure no one saw coming. Just me, or was that fairly obviously set up?
0: I don't know if I did see it coming, actually.
1: Oh, (laughs) well. (laughs) I'm doing a little dance over here.
0: She was a weird character when she was just Vivian Faye. Like, cause it's basically Romana, Vivian and the professor, whose name I can't even remember. I just always refer to her as the professor. <laughs> they, they have most of the interactions together. Like the doctor isn't really interacting with those three throughout a lot of the serial but they are interacting with each other a lot. And it always seems there was a kind of an undertone whenever Vivian was talking. It was like, are you going to kill Romana? (laughs) Um, She's definitely sinister. Something else is going on here.
1: Okay, I have questions about her, and I, I can, can we just stop and, and focus on her character for a little bit and her backstory in particular, because there are a lot of things here that are not clear to me at all. So okay. we we know that there are, in fact, we see these modern day quote druids who uh, sacrifice people, drain them of blood, pour the blood on the stones, yada yada yada, and this is all in aid of summoning the goddess Keliach. Yeah. We learn later on that in the the, the estate, or in the castle, or, or what have you, where the head druid lives, I think, multiple ladies lived in this house going back centuries, and they all had portraits, and when we finally see these portraits, we realise they were clearly all the same person, because these portraits are all identical. Yep. Now, <laughs> Kellya herself is Vivian Faye. She still looks exactly like that. She works with the professor for goodness knows what reason. Why doesn't she just go to her druid buddies? Like, why do they even have to (laughs) run through these rituals? Why do they have to sacrifice people? Why can't she just go there and say, Hi, this is me, these portraits are the proof, now bring me blood.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so the thing is, she doesn't actually want the blood. It's just for the ogre, isn't It's it? for her,
1: her henchmen. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, but still, I mean, they are there. The druids are there to summon her. She clearly wants to be, I mean, she wants to be summoned, right? She wants to be revered. Yeah. But all she has to do is go to them. They just have to see her and they will immediately recognize her as their goddess.
0: Yeah, possibly. I guess she's basically created her own myth. So she could have created it in a different way, is what you're saying, I suppose. Because she's created a myth that she is multiple generations of a a family.
1: Yeah, exactly. I I think we get to see similar things in lots of vampire stories, where it's like, oh, actually, I'm going to play my own son, I'm going to play my own grandson, and so on and so forth. And and she is someone who doesn't quite live forever, but she lives a lot longer than regular humans. But I, I guess my point is... Either she wants to be summoned by these people, in which case, mission accomplished, just, like, go and live in this fancy house. Don't live in a cottage. Live in the fancy house. Have them revere you. Bring blood to your henchmen and do whatever it is that you want to do. We still don't know what she wants to do. Or hide away from them, in which case, why is she still there like why is she even in cornwall you know she could go literally anywhere but this stone circle and no one would ever find her
0: i think i've forgotten what the hell she wants what does she want
1: (laughs) we don't find out
0: we don't find out we don't
1: find out i'm pretty sure we don't find out
0: because what we do find out is that she is some space alien Mm -hmm. and has arrived on a spaceship or she's escaped from a spaceship like the yeah
1: she's escaped from it So she was on a prison transport. Yeah. Somehow she escapes. We don't find out how. And I'm not sure. I I think we probably find out why she was on the prison transport in the first place, but I've already forgotten. But she escapes from it. This prison transport is traveling through hyperspace. So she manages to jump out of hyperspace into the nearest space, which is Cornwall and this stone circle. Yeah. But then why stay there? You know, like, why not just she could literally just hop across the pond or go to (laughs) continental Europe or like Like, do anything, leave this village. Because I, I guess Surely she wants to get
0: away link, from... It's a link back to the spaceship But why does but she need the spaceship? I can imagine why she would need the spaceship Because she why? wants to, to leave To go back to wherever she came from But she doesn't seem to be making any effort to do that Correct As far as we see uh, Exactly But I, I could see why you wouldn't want to necessarily just go Oh, I'm going to settle down In a slightly different part of Cornwall <laughs> You might want to stay close to the ship and do stuff But yeah, you're right though It's not established that that's what she's trying to do And so we're just left with a uh, Well, she just Hanging around for some reason.
1: Yeah, exactly. But then I still don't understand why she portrayed this lady of the, the grand estate and then all of a sudden just disappeared and pretended to be the professor's assistants or whatever.
0: There's a whole thing as well that like Romana uncovers that women have always owned this land. That yes. The stone stone circle exists on. And at some point, the hall, I think they refer to it as like the hall, the, the manor, whatever. At some point, that's been built on it. And all of the time, obviously, we must assume this is Vivian Faye has... Been that one woman in control of everything but going further back in time there was some nunnery or something wasn't there that was like oh, in control, control of everything which i don't think they really unpack properly but i'm sure you know there was an implication that before it's these few generations of incarnations of vivian Fay, effectively that the paintings are hidden for before that, there was other stuff because you know this is multiple thousands of years old. Yeah, you're right. And that that house doesn't cover all of the all of that time frame, and she's meant to have been there for like four thousand years. years. Yeah. So yeah, so there were other things thrown in there. So she's she's just continually making up people and a reason for things to be there and for her to be there and assuming different identities it's a hell of a lot of effort to go to
1: <laughs> yeah for not much of a goal
0: like she may as well have just had a nice hut and just be done with it and then just scared everyone off
1: yeah yeah absolutely i would have bought that i would a hundred percent have bought that
0: yeah I, d- I didn't write very good notes but I, I literally wrote women have always owned the land for the stone circle <laughs> it was through a convent convent was referred to
1: i was very pleasantly surprised that this is a very female dominated serial
0: yes no that definitely plus points
1: a breath of fresh air from the bbc all of a sudden yeah indeed is doc the uh, doc and head druid are the only male characters i think
0: i guess so the other people we haven't got onto the the magra are male voices oh right the but they Megara. are machines.
1: The Megara. Oh,
0: Megara, sorry. But yeah, but they are technically machines. They're not, not male.
1: That's correct, yeah.
0: Yeah, no, it's um, pretty much unheard of in Doctor Who, even, I think even New Who. Yeah. So it's, it's hard to, hard to imagine. I don't, it's probably easier with New Who because they don't tend to have as large an uh, extended class. I guess maybe that's the thing with this classic. There aren't a lot of people in it. That's a bit of a breath of fresh air as well. Like, there isn't a cult with 50 people, three of which speak...
1: But there is a cult with multiple members, and they all at one point just bolt. And, I mean, that means that we know that after Doc and Romana and K-9, after they leave at the end of the serial, we know that there are at least, like, let's say a dozen homicidal druids in the vicinity. True. (laughs) We don't know what happens to them.
0: Yeah, don't go camping around there.
1: (laughs) Oh, absolutely not. By the way, th- just having all the druids there, did you also feel that there was a return to maybe the hammer horror kind of thing that we've talked about a lot in the past?
0: Um I did, and my note on that is, yay, another cult. <laughs> 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 this is this is where I was kind of hinting. I didn't know if I liked this for for a long time. Whilst it was just druids in a stone circle. Yeah. I wasn't really on board. I was very confused when the augury started manifesting a little bit. But once we get into the spaceship and stuff, I was like, whoa, okay, this is some real crazy shit. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you have sort of three different stories here. You have the cultish hammer horror druid thing, which doesn't quite pan out. Then you have the sci-fi story, which has great potential, but which is never really explored. And then everything kind of devolves into a courtroom monologue. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah. (laughs) Well, you you mentioned, you know, arguably the only other male character. So De I think he's called yes yeah and he gets killed off yes uh, by
1: the augury
0: yeah like halfway through episode two is it I think yeah he
1: gets killed off by the people serving the person he wants to serve
0: yeah, I d- I don't understand this setup. I think no, I think no, no, you're right. I. I had not put my brain to this. You're absolutely right. This is just bonkers. Why she is there? What the ogre are doing? Like these, yeah, these druids want to give the ogre blood, and then the ogre turn around and kill them.
1: I think there are uh, a shit ton of. Cool ideas that are just thrown against a wall. And instead of going, like, let's throw some ideas against the wall, see what sticks, and then explore those ideas, they just threw a bunch of ideas. Everything stuck. And they just went, what a nice mosaic. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the cereal. So, okay, so the Ogri, they serve Keliach, who is the goddess of these druids. But some at some point, these Ogri mimic the Doctor and throw romana off a cliff
0: oh yeah this bit so what the shit man so this is the end of episode one this is the pretty much literal cliffhanger exactly of episode, episode one yep which as it plays out at the end of episode one just looks like romana walking up to a cliff and going oh there's a cliff Yep. walking away walking from past
1: the... a massive sign that says careful cliff you're gonna fall
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> walking away from the cliff because it's a cliff you don't want to stand close to that certainly and then just kind of looking a bit shocked and then backing over the cliff. She just walks off the cliff backward and we don't see anything of the doctor. Yep. We don't, at this point, she's gone out there because she's heard him shouting and then the yeah, claim what, at that yeah the claim at the start of episode two is that the doctor pushed her over the edge whereas the entire setup of the first episode looked like she just walked over it was just yeah i almost felt like they fucked up the end of the first episode <laughs> <laughs> and had to kind of write in as like well you know when we when we play this back it looks like she just walked off the off the cliff what, what were you trying to do there steve Uh, I'm not quite sure, actually, Bill. How about we just say there was uh, one of the stones pretending to be the doctor pushed her. But it didn't look like anyone was pushing her, Steve. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Get away with it. Uh,
1: I I have a feeling that I read a piece of trivia about this. I didn't save it. But I, I have a feeling that I read something about them actually originally intending to shoot Tom Baker pushing her over a cliff but then deciding against it for goodness knows what reason. But even, I mean, fine, so they decide against it. They cut him out of that, or maybe they never shot him to begin with. But then in episode two, when Doc saves Romana, she is very wary of him. She's suspicious, and, and constantly keeps, like, dropping these little hints of, yeah, you tried to kill me, I don't trust you anymore, and then that's just let go entirely. Yeah. But I do have a question about that, actually. Is this particular part of the key to time meant to have some sort of transmogrifying effect?
0: I don't know if it's this particular, but that's that's what they claim is that this, yeah, this segment of the key to time. And I I would assume all segments, because that is their shtick, really. They yeah, you're right. Actually, yeah, you're appear right. As, they appear as anything. So that, yeah, the, the claim is that Vivian has worked out a way to use that to her advantage, I suppose. But...
1: Yeah, but he, okay, so here's a follow-up question then. If she can use the key to time, her piece of the, her pendant, whatever, that's the part of the key to time in order to shapeshift, why would she always have looked the same in those portraits?
0: <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> well, at this point, we don't know it's it's Vivian running everything. But I don't think I ever assumed it was her that was pretending to be the Doctor. No, actually, I think, sorry,
1: you're right. It was one of the Rocky Balboas.
0: Yeah, I, I assumed it was an ogre. Then we fall into the problem that they changed them from being humanoid stone creatures to being... A lump of stone. (laughs) And suddenly a lump of stone is meant to be like the doctor? I
1: I wish we had a scene. I I mean, somewhere on the cutting room floor, there is footage of one of these lumps of stone with a scarf like twirled (laughs) around it. Uh, We can dream. (laughs) So who is this? I, I I feel like I cut you off before. You were talking about the guy, the head druid, whatever his name is.
0: I was merely bringing him up again to just point out how quickly he's done in with. And there's a, a character called Martha. Yeah, whom...
1: whom he refers to as Mother. Oh, really? Yeah. And I don't know if that's like a Vice President Pence kind of thing, or if she is actually meant to be his mother, but I feel like those two are the same age.
0: Yeah, I, I would not have pegged them. Are you sure? you absolutely sure he doesn't say Martha? Because that's what she's credited as.
1: Oh, <laughs> wait, you're <laughs> so right, aren't you?
0: <laughs> I've I got a bit past them to sort have of slipped in a weird... I don't know, because I, 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 I didn't understand these two characters, but they barely exist in this serial.
1: <laughs> oh, I feel like an idiot now. In I found in part two... I've just written that quote, get out of here, mother, <laughs> end quote, pens, question mark, exclamation point. <laughs> <laughs> You're so right. That's clearly Martha, then. Yeah, exactly. So who is she? Is she, she's the second in command of these druids, but...
0: She appeared to be. But we never uh, learn
1: what their motivation is. what
0: No, they... Ugh.
1: And they're killed by an ogre. Are they killed by an ogre because they are successful in summoning an ogre?
0: I don't know. At this point, they're trying to summon the Ziliach. <laughs>
1: yes, exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Which you have to uh, channel your inner Klingon to, to really do it justice. And then the ogre comes... But then we know Ew. that we know that Vivian is controlling the ogre, so you know every time these druids do something, like she could just be responding. She could send the ogre to go and kill them. But then it's also not clear that the ogre was trying to kill them. The ogre just kind of tries to go through a door and destroys the building. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Maybe they're just like, giant lumbering idiots who yeah, accidentally like, run over people.
0: It's like, oh no, my bad. Oh <laughs> shit, I killed them. Not again. <laughs>
1: Damn it, Ugri, this is why we can't have nice things
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's all about the puppy instant again
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh no Okay, so how do you feel about, um, I mean, we, we talked about uh, the Professor Estelle Getty, Professor Rumford for a little bit. How do you feel about her kind of taking on companion duties in this one?
0: Oh, I don't know if I would go that far, to be honest. Oh,
1: really?
0: So you, you feel like she was companion Yeah,
1: very much so. I, I feel, in general, I feel like Romana was shortchanged in this one.
0: Is the Professor not more often a companion to Romana?
1: Oh, that's a wonderful observation
0: she gets a very key role in manning the device to send them into hyperspace yeah and with canine's assistance repairing it but i think i feel like other than that she's she's mostly kind of Hanging out with Romana, isn't she?
1: I think you're right. Yeah, that is a brilliant point. I like that. She does take on companion duties, but to
0: the companion.
1: But Romana is still very much. I mean, she she goes by unused as a character. I feel
0: she gets she gets left a lot in this one. But I I don't think I picked up on it as a negative when I was watching it. I think I picked it up on as, as the when the Doctor trusts his companion yeah. or her companion, even in New Who, the Doctor lets them just do something else now as i say that i'm thinking actually what he let romana do most of the time was just stay put <laughs> <laughs> but okay, occasionally it was like i i as the doctor i'm gonna go do this thing you as my assistant are gonna do that thing it might have just been, oh, I'll go with the professor and have a cup of tea. But
1: yeah, exactly. G- generally generally put yourself in harm's way for a little bit.
0: Yeah, I don't. Know. It's, something always happened in those these side moments. It, it felt like a you know the kind of relationship there was with Sarah Jane. You know, a lot of the time when they gave her agency, you know, she was off and um, making things happen. And I think I think Romana was doing that in this. I've, I have a note which I randomly paused on on this screen. Uh, it says that Romana comes up with a way to save K nine by using the Like,
1: yeah, exactly. K-9. She like jumps. Him.
0: Yeah, K9 would have been totally out of action, potentially, after being crushed. I forget what happens to K9. I think it's all off screen, isn't it? He,
1: he encounters the ogre.
0: Yeah. So he shoots them to start with, and that's working well, and then chases them off screen and gets a bit killed, basically.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Needs to be repaired. And also, every time that they encounter the ogre, K9 is the force field, effectively, but it drains K9's batteries.
0: Yeah. K9's pretty keen to this, actually, this serial.
1: Oh, very much. Not so yeah okay hang on I'm, I'm i'm sorry i keep hopping on about bloody estelle getty here but how do you feel about professor romford's just straight up acceptance of oh, right, cool this is a sentient robot dog
0: was a bit odd <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't thrown more i think i don't know i kind of feel like 20 years from now robot dog appears or something even more far-fetched i'll be like yeah why not <laughs> i've seen some shit <laughs> Why not a robot dog? Why not a uh, teleporting kangaroo? you
1: know <laughs> maybe it's just I mean she is meant to portray not just meant she does portray a different generation than Tom Baker does so yeah. when Tom Baker shows up with his robot dog it's the equivalent of we go to let's say our parents or grandparents generation someone of the uh, one of those generations and just show them an app and they're like oh, all these newfangled things I have no know what yeah. that is it's the equivalent of like oh all these newfangled robot dogs whatever man <laughs> I'm exactly. sure everyone has one yeah
0: that's the way she does t- <laughs> She does seem to take it, and whilst it's maybe a little bit... too far to kind of go, oh, yeah, I could see how robot dogs could be a thing now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, why don't you just go, like, you, you're you staring at the thing. It's talking to you.
1: It's clearly a robot dog. Yeah. 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 I, you know what? I don't even know why I asked. It, it's <laughs> such an obvious thing.
0: Okay, it,
1: side notes. It's still about her. There is a point when she meets Doc and Romana, she goes, oh, Romana, that's a beautiful name. What's the origin of that name? Like, it literally means Roman. like <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is a
1: professor of. Actually, I, I don't know of what. I'm just going to say, like, high level history.
0: <laughs> I can't remember, actually. Is, is she to do with archaeology? i think so yeah
1: i think specifically druidic culture history what have you
0: yeah i I don't have notes on this either
1: okay so jumping to part two when uh, doc is about to be murdered by the druids the professor on her bicycle is just on her way back to the stone circle with a flask of tea Uh, you know what I, I, you never know. That that nice lady with her high-heeled shoes is probably still hanging around, even though it's the dead of night. She probably needs a flask of tea. The druids disperse. All the homicidal maniacs are now back in the village that we never get to see. And Doc then goes, Oh, thanks very much. Why don't you stay here, little old lady, <laughs> while I <laughs> leave this crime scene and <laughs> and find my robot dog and meet my robot dog halfway. You have a flask of, of, of tea, just in case you get cold anyway, so I'm sure you're fine. Like, the Doctor was nearly decapitated there a moment ago.
0: He does take that very much in his stride, doesn't he? <laughs> I try to actually remember. How does Doc get in that situation? Oh, he gets he gets smacked on the head, doesn't he?
1: Yeah, by an ogre, I think.
0: No, he... Oh, um, no,
1: you're right. He goes no, to the estate, meets what's-his-face druid chap, and...
0: The De- 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 freeze is yes, the one that exactly. hits him. You're right. He gets, he gets distracted by the, the creepy bird outfit, which... We later see Vivian wearing, so is that not exactly.
1: Vivian then? Yeah, I, I assume so. I mean, the, either there are two bird outfits, or that is Blanche Devereaux in the estate, and the only reason no one recognises her as Vivian, whatever her, Vivian Faye... Is because she wears a mask.
0: Possibly. Well she's hidden the portraits as well. But then that guy guy's meant to live there. No, I, don't, I feel like
1: he hid the portraits.
0: He hid them. Well, uh.
1: he must have done so because he provides the alibi. He goes, I'm I'm having them cleaned.
0: That's true. No, there are a lot of holes in this. <laughs> yeah,
1: that guy, by the way, the, uh, whatever his name is, the the, the guy who plays Leonard—is it Leonard? Leonard DeFreeze. Leonard I DeFreeze. Be, Yeah. I feel like he should have one of those. You know, you know the hacker punishments—the thing where he he goes to prison and then when he gets out of prison, he's not let anywhere near a stage or screen for like twenty-five years because that man, holy moly, does he chew scenery. <laughs>
0: Any particular ones in general or every uh... scene.
1: Like take <laughs> your pick. Any okay. scene. Every time that he said Kelyach with, with that intonation, I just wanted to throw up because he put so much <laughs> emphasis behind that name. And, like his arms are in the air. It's 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 like a Yeah, it's just so uber theatrical.
0: Welcome to the Druids of Tomorrow. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This, I think this still fits into the I wasn't quite on board with it at the start.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I get that.
0: We're pretty much through the start, actually. Shall that's we, true. Should we jump into the... Uh, Sci-fi? Th- the second act, third act? I don't know what you would call it. Yeah, go for it. So this this happens right at the end of episode two, effectively. But we don't know it at the end of episode two. But Vivian has been revealed as Crow Lady. Mm-hmm. She zaps Romana. Wait, so wait,
1: wait. Crow Lady. That's another thing that we'd never learn about. She can control birds.
0: Oh, yeah. I, I got quite a few notes about crows or ravens, and it's just... They, it's nothing it means nothing it's never but they're meant
1: to be developed. her eyes like they they spy on people for her
0: but does she use it
1: i don't no it never gets explored yeah oh, i'm sorry I, I cut you off but it's just because i'm frustrated with this part of of the story
0: it just seems like someone thought uh ah, crows would be cool <laughs> Should we put some crows? Like, they could sit on a perch in that hall and uh, look a bit creepy. Um, Yeah, we could have them standing on the stones. That, you know, standing stone circles. Always have crows on them.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: Bloody hell, Steve. Pack it in.
1: (laughs) Right, sorry. So hang on. So you were saying?
0: Yeah, so this is episode two, finishes romana has been zapped. We don't really know what's happened.
1: Yeah, she's but, like but staff teleported.
0: Yeah, so that's that's really the end of Druid life. Yeah, and then well, we get a we get a bit more of the reveal I think in um, episode three. But then we go up to the spaceship. Yeah, and we get wonderful dialogue about hyperspace with the professor saying, "Well, Doctor tries to explain hyperspace to the professor." The professor says, "I still don't understand about hyperspace." The doc says, "Well, who does?" And K9 pipes up, "I do." <laughs> Which is lovely. And we, yeah, so we are now in a spaceship with some wonderful models. Yes, of, of the outer bit of the spaceship,
1: and some beautiful um, green screening as well.
0: Some nice green screening, yeah. Some nice sets in general. I don't know. It's fairly bland sci-fi stuff, but some of it, yeah. But well. there
1: are a couple of really. There's one shot in particular that that I found gorgeous, where we see the spaceship from the outside, but it's not it's not the miniature spaceship. It's just one of the windows or one of the corridors, and we see the doctor walk past the window on the inside.
0: Oh yeah,
1: it was such a nice shot. But but yeah, oh sorry, also the miniature, gorgeous. Because
0: it's a weird looking, it, I couldn't decide actually if it was a spaceship or a space station. It was, it had a space station-y feel to it, didn't it? Because it was it does, yeah. kind of four sides without a centre. It's a little reminiscent
1: a, actually of the spaceships in space 1999.
0: Oh really? i never actually watched any of that. But yeah, so this is where Romana has been sent. Yep. She she has been locked up, so I, I don't know why, I'm just going to refer to her as Vivian throughout the whole thing, it's a lot, a lot sure. easier. Um, why Vivian zapped her just to lock her up there seems a bit weird but that's where she is and Doc finds her there next to what seems to be a decomposing robot.
1: Yeah, I, I only wrote robot in my notes and then looked at the trivia and it turns out it is actually a, a dead crawl android. Oh, I yeah. not know what that is. Do you remember the the android invasion where they, they go to this little village and they're all the, the, there's a shot ah. of uh, like the, the faces coming off and you see the eyeballs and just electronic gizmos inside? It's one of those robots.
0: Ah... Because that basically turns out to be the whole thing, is that everyone up there is dead. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they find another skeleton of a humanoid type thing. Yeah. And
1: do they... Is it a yeah. It
0: is a Yeah. Okay.
1: There's a fantastic and, scene where the Doc walks in there, he opens the door, a skeleton falls out, he just kicks it back into the cell.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, and we, we've we got another nice visual effect I've, I've noted down, actually. When Doc sits at this console and he's trying to kind of work out what's going on, oh, there's yeah. a, a real early computer graphic of the ship sat above the stone circle, which is just wonderful. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's literally just some white blocks on a you know black background, but yeah, early computer graphics were amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's <was>
1: very nice. <laughs> it's a still al- frame from that ping pong game on the Commodore sixty four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: you can almost hear eight bit sounds like. <laughs> Accompanying it in your mind. And then the real I guess final final push comes when, you know, Doc opens this seal yeah. and releases the Megara. Yes, the Justice the Machines. Megara.
1: Oh, yes, the Magara, darling. Mm. Who are somewhat um, um Adamsian? Douglas Adamsian, I feel.
0: I'm glad you said that. I literally score had that same note. Um, oh yay!
1: Here's my friend who agrees with me.
0: Just a little bit into episode four, I said this feels more like Douglas Adams, uh, uh, Adams script than the Pirate Planet did to me.
1: Yeah, only the only the justice machines.
0: Yeah, only only those uh, that whole setup. I think. Yeah, the, yeah, exactly
1: the setup. But the thing is, if Douglas Adams had written that, he would have kept it short it wouldn't have been a whole episode of the same two sentences being bounced back and forth.
0: Yeah, quite possibly.
1: Because <laughs> when we get to part four, the, part four is just a trial, basically. And I, I I mean, in part four, I've written in my notes, Jesus, this trial is utter horseshiz. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. I think part three is probably the standout to me because it mixes both of those worlds together. I agree, yeah. And yeah, yeah, I think you're right that the trial aspect is a bit of a drain on your patients towards the end of it.
1: So I, I haven't listened to the DVD commentary for the serial, but according to IMDb Trivia, for episode four Tom Baker Mary Tam and Susan Engel were scathing about this episode on the DVD commentary oh really yeah Tom Baker apparently referred to it as quote the longest episode in the history of Doctor Who oh
0: yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah actually that piece sorry I'm gonna read out the rest of this paragraph uh, Tam said they deserved medals for having sat through it and Engel questioned how it could even have been transmitted wow yeah and you know what I second that I think episode four I, sorry I think the trial aspect of episode four is nonsense.
0: I think what bothered me more than it being a bit long and unnecessary, yeah, was it wasn't consistent in itself. Oh, okay. Like I think if you're going to establish two entities that claim to be all about justice, they're machines, but justice machines, <laughs> and yeah. they are judge, jury, and executioners. They are the judge dreads of the Doctor <laughs> universe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like they should have a very clear logic written around them. And when Doc starts calling his witnesses, like he's he's ever kind of like trying to fight the system and, you know, get his appeal through and call witnesses and all this kind of stuff. And then he manages to call Vivian as a witness and doesn't even get to question her.
1: Yeah, I know. And they... even, I mean, the most basic thing being, we know that her real name is not Vivian. We just need to find out that she's lying. He just has to ask, is your name Vivian? But then he can't ask that question because he doesn't know what her real name is. But he doesn't need to know what her real name is.
0: Well, I just didn't understand. Like, he's he's trying to, you know, get her to confess to being effectively a more wanted criminal than, than yeah. he is. But also, like, these justice machines, I can't quite remember if there is any reason why they let the doc off, if that's really brought about. Because he's still broken a law.
1: Yeah, I don't think they do. He breaks another law towards the end, uses the key to time pendants Thingy to send them back into hyperspace or back to their planets or whatever. And he just goes, Yeah, yeah, they're not going to be around for another 2,000 years or so. It's fine. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Well, because they actually, no, just remember, they, they do actually try to execute him. They, they don't let him go. But then he grabs Vivian and then, yeah, Doc is fine. But Vivian is knocked unconscious for a bit and they have a little chit chat with the Magara.
1: And then they just have to read her mind. And that's the that's the deus ex machina. So why yeah. don't they just automatically read everyone's mind and dispense with the whole trial nonsense to begin with?
0: I think there was there was some spiel about, you know, they're not allowed to do that. Because there is obviously some privacy rules programmed into them but yeah it's it's so wishy-washy at the end of just this weird <laughs> weird trial with doc wearing his you know solicitor's wig that he's brought out of his pocket which i nice. like that he does that yeah. <laughs> yeah and yeah these multiple balls of light chirping each other oh my god the computer chirpy sound as well when they talk to each other oh, i like that oh you like that oh yeah, i, I like it, it. <laughs>
1: Why did you hate it?
0: It was just a horrible sound, and they did it so often.
1: <laughs> I, th- I mean, the idea was, I assume, that in one of those chirps is a whole conversation. Like, so when they're chirping back and forth at each other, that's as though they're spending hours and hours of our time debating with each other.
0: Yeah, I don't know. It just seemed unnecessary. Like You could have just had silence, I feel like, and people would have understood they were communicating. Like, flashes of light would have been enough. I, I agree, really, yeah. I really didn't like the sound.
1: <laughs> they have absolutely no <laughs> structure or balance to their sentences, though. If you impersonate a religious figure killing countless people at the same time, you're in prison for a thousand years. Years, by the way. Earth years. You're in prison for a thousand Earth years. These are people from a different planet somewhere in hyperspace. But if you break a sealed door, death.
0: (laughs) Yeah, they didn't make the rules.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's true. I guess that's true.
0: (laughs) I like how it's breaking the seal to them as well. It's like, yeah, we are allowed out, but we're only allowed out on very particular occasions. So you breaking that seal is a very (laughs) naughty boy.
1: Our kidnapper put a seal on that door. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> okay, different question for you. How did you feel about the Doctoriador? The what? Uh, when the Doctor is a Toriador with his coat.
0: Oh, I did not feel good about <laughs> the Doctoriador. <laughs> <laughs> When does that even happen? I've uh, Part three at some point. Uh, yeah, towards the start of part three. Yeah,
1: because for some reason they go back to the cliffs. We have that hideous day for night shoot on the cliffs because they just happened to spend an afternoon there and they figured, fuck it, why don't we shoot the next episode here as well?
0: Yeah, because cause I, I was skipping around before. Like, when Romana gets zapped up, we don't immediately go to this, this ship because Doc has to find his way there. So this is part of that, isn't it? It's... Um, doc and professor bumble yes finding a way to get well by building
1: the most amazing tripod hyperspace teleporter cannon (laughs) yes incredible
0: this is where we learn that the the stones are ugly i think
1: okay yeah that's very possible
0: yeah so a lot happens yeah i think episode three is by far the the kind of meat of this weird sci-fi cult sandwich sandwich
1: Part three also has the super weird scene. I mean, a wonderfully weird scene where the ogre are revealed to require blood. Like they they are globulin deficient, so they they need blood effectively. But that's the closest yeah. thing to what they need. So there's one bit where where they go like, all oh, right, so the ogre they have to, they just have to suck someone's blood out through you know any given body part. Hard cut to topless man climbing out of tent <laughs> and preparing to take off his trousers. <laughs>
0: Yeah, the uh, the happy campers scene is <laughs> quite spout. <special. laughs>
1: what happened to those two campers' skeletons?
0: They were discovered a week later and baffled the police for decades.
1: So this is... And why isn't Unit investigating this? Unit went to uh, whatever the village was called... In uh, the Daemons, where people not entirely unlike these modern-day druids, they were sacrificing civilians. They were I mean, they were causing human casualties in their pursuit to revere some pagan deity it, that also, in brackets, turned out to be an alien. Here, there are th- there must be so many dead hikers, campers, tourists, <laughs> locals. Maybe that's why we never get to see a village because everyone has been. Murdered because the the stones the the ogry, they need to be furnished with fresh blood on a regular basis. But yep. there are no authorities.
0: No, nope, no one gives a shit. <laughs> it's it's a very small episode in terms of like, expounding it out. Like I, I guess that was always the interesting thing when Unit came along is it immediately put it on a larger playing field, even if it didn't look it because you didn't get to meet anyone. Yeah. If unit knows about it. It's then it's of national interest. Care. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No one, no one cares about these. Like there's one guy in the village going, fuck. Like, But uh, waiting they were for 100... Steve all day. Yeah. There were a hundred people there when I first moved in.
1: 14 of us now. <laughs> <laughs> the other 13 are all wearing robes. <laughs> <laughs> there's a mention of the Black Guardian in this one. But there it is. We'd never get to see the Black Guardian. The Black Guardian is coming up. Maybe not the next one, maybe in a couple of episodes, I don't know. But I mean, we, we still have the Black Guardian to look forward to.
0: Oh, yes.
1: We do also, however, find out that the... So,
0: get a little bit of clarification. Sorry, there was a bit cutting out there. Oh, go for it. Um yeah, we get a bit of clarification with what the White Guardian did in the original setup for.
1: Oh yes, that's the true. The
0: very first. So we were slightly confused, like how Ramana came to be knowing what you know, knowing what was happening with the keys to time and all this kind of stuff. And it turns out the White Guardian had pretended to be the person that had. I've, was it was it the Gallifreyan president? It can't I think so. Set. Yeah, it's something is to that effect. President. Yeah,
1: like the the head of the council or something like that.
0: Yeah, because is Doc still the president? <laughs> I don't know. Oh <laughs> yeah, that's a good
1: question. Maybe.
0: But we were led to believe someone had instructed Romana about this mission and and briefed her on it. Yeah, a fellow Gallifreyan. But it turns out it was the White Guardian impersonating this person. Which I don't know. Does like again like you? I think you said at the time it means the Guardian kind of plucked her from wherever she was and put her in TARDIS, And I think I was arguing that, well, she got a briefing, so she knew what was happening. But chances are she's, she got a very brief briefing and then just appeared in TARDIS.
1: <laughs> yeah, which doesn't seem like the Guardian's M.O. to me. It seems like the Guardian should just be able to snap his fingers and very much like a Q Continuum individual, just have changed at least her timeline or her view of history to include this uh, this mission setup, the prep for all of this, and her journey to the Doctor's TARDIS. Because yeah. if he meets her somewhere, let, let's say, so he puts on a, a mask or a wig or a hat or whatever, he puts on one of those funky Gallifreyan collars. He goes to Gallifrey. He walks up to her on the street. She goes, "Hey, Romana (in brackets, Roman numeral one, close brackets). I'm the President. I'm going to brief you on." this mission this is what you gotta do and then he f's off she's then gonna have to go and get a ticket Get on some public transport, travel to wherever the dock is, go into his TARDIS, and then meet him at the start of this season. Yeah. So it seems to me, like, the White Guardian clearly must have snapped his fingers to just teleport her there.
0: It's it's like, oh, by the way, we've developed this technology where we can send you right into the dock's TARDIS. Are you okay with that? Yeah, it's a finger snapping technology. (laughs) Yeah, off you go.
1: (laughs) You young people and your newfangled
0: apps. (laughs) But yeah, when we first see her in the TARDIS, like, she is. She's so blase about it. Like, yeah, she has just materialized there, but does not a <laughs> shit. <laughs> but interestingly, the doc is like 100 percent convinced this must have been what happened as well. But we didn't know this had happened. The, the Guardian doesn't tell the doctor this in our True. present. Yeah but the doc is, is absolutely certain the person who briefed Romana must have been the White Guardian. Not that the White Guardian left a briefing on the president's table or, you know, anything <laughs> like You know, any other setup that could have led to her knowing about it and ending up where she needed to be. I reckon this is but, a
1: BBC know. or possibly a viewer note because we are now, I mean, several months after or at least a couple of months after that first serial. Yeah. And people may just have gone, yeah, but wouldn't she have questioned all of this? by now Surely, I mean, we can't go on with the season and, and have her just believe that this is all uh, an elaborate mission. So they just ham-fist that line in there in the beginning.
0: Yeah, which is actually, it's a, a voiceover from the White Guardian, isn't it? It's saying, beware the Black Guardian. Oh,
1: yes, also, yeah. The Black Guardian, as opposed to the White Guardian, who is, in fact, in this one referred to as the Guardian of Light and Time. Ah, yes. Very disparate concepts, I feel like. It could be the Guardian of Safety and Goldfish, or, you know... <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) confidence and toast (laughs) about as related. Mm.
0: Yum yum, I'm having that for breakfast.
1: (laughs) Do you think, and I honestly do not remember this from the the later episodes, I I don't even know if I've seen the later ones. Sorry, I say that I saw a few screenshots, and I know that I've seen something, but I have no idea which one. Do you reckon that the White Guardian is actually just as Culpable as everyone else, and that in the end, once the key to time has been assembled, possibly Doc and Romana and K Nine will have to save the universe themselves, rather than hand it over to the White Guardian and allow him to do so.
0: I hadn't really thought about it, but now you've described it that way. Yes,
1: haha! <laughs> 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 Fantastic.
0: <laughs> well, because I think you know, I, I mean, we're divulging a sorry, diverting a little bit from this episode, but when it was presented that there is a guardian that's kind of more powerful than the doctor yeah in fact all gallifreyans time lords it didn't sit very well with me because because of the way it was set up like you said that we've encountered these beings before
1: one of them certainly
0: but it it, it seems like that was a long time ago for a start like uh oh I yeah think- I've been doing these with you for some time now, and I had never come across a Guardian figure. And the Doctor was very, I don't know, forthcoming and and just very accepting that this is a more powerful entity than me. I'm going to refer to you as sir, all this kind of stuff. And I think I would, you know, I'd be surprised if they stick with it being 100% that I would, you know, I'm kind of expecting when this all unravels at the end. Yeah, it's not just going to be hand over this and the universe is safe because the White Guardian says so.
1: Yeah, you're right. Uh, same page club. Same I think page. so as well.
0: Anyway, back on this one. Okay. What else do we have to talk about? Uh, I'd like to pull
1: in a lovely soundbite, if I may. Oh, of course. From part three, this is nine minutes and 40 seconds-ish into it. Are you from outer space? No. Oh. I'm more from what you'd call inner
0: time. Oh, I like that one too. Yeah, that was (laughs) nice. Doc doc and Prof actually have a nice little interplay, I think. uh, Yeah, I think so too. I I was saying before that I I couldn't really think of them spending a lot of time together. I think the Professor is more spending time with Romana. But that is probably mostly in the first two episodes that that Romana and Professor interplay happens. But when the Doc gets with the Professor, it's nice, definitely.
1: Yeah, I'm with you on that.
0: And uh, this is shortly after the professor has tried to capture one of the killer stones with her truncheon as well, I think.
1: <laughs> oh, for goodness sakes. Yeah.
0: And <laughs> <laughs> so we knew they were the, the ogre. they are through my notes, referred to as killer stones. <laughs> Your Rocky Balboas. Yeah, Rocky Balboas.
1: Would it surprise you to learn that it is the most popular installment of the Key to Time?
0: Oh, I don't know if I am surprised by that or not. Oh, really? I, I mean, I kind of enjoyed it, definitely. I think the pirate planet we we've just had was yeah. a bit uh, a bit over the shop as well. And the what did we have before that? I've forgotten.
1: Uh, uh, what's it called? Unstuff and uh, what's his face?
0: Mister Unstuffable. <laughs> ah yes, Reboss.
1: Reboss, yes, the Reboss operation with the first one.
0: Yeah, yeah, that was a bit all over the shop as well. So <laughs> I don't, <know. laughs> yeah. I, I could, I can see there's a lot to like about this one, and it's a, it's a very interesting way of trying to meld, you know, sci-fi and the, the Hammer Horror together.
1: We haven't uh, had Hammer Horror in a while.
0: Nope, and uh, I'm quite okay with that. Oh really? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Wait, is this only the third Key to Time?
0: I think so. Yeah. It is.
1: You're right. Yeah, Reboss Operation Pirate Planet, and this. Yeah. I need to set up a separate section on the website solely for the key to time.
0: So I'm just skipping ahead on Wikipedia. The penultimate one is The Power of Kroll. Sorry, I've seen a a screenshot of The Power of Kroll, which looks amazing.
1: Is that the one with... Does it have a gigantic monster in it? Yeah, it does. That's the one I've seen. That's the one that I remember from when I was a kid.
0: And then the last one being the Armageddon... Unless
1: I'm conflating it with Seeds of Doom. Uh... Which I might be. I might be. I don't know. I'm going to have
0: to... This one has green people as well, if that helps.
1: Again, might be conflating that with Seeds of Doom.
0: <laughs> okay, here's a question for you. Okay. So uh, I've been referring to this character as Vivian the entire time. Vivian Faye.
1: Yeah, Blanche Devereaux.
0: She is really a criminal, and she is the Cicere of Diplos. Yes, that's right. Or Césaire of Diplos. I, I don't think it's a title. I think it's just her name and when she is on the space station she suddenly reveals herself as this silver lady in a very futuristic looking getup yep <laughs> uh my question would be why do we care <laughs> Because from this point on, she she goes back down to earth briefly, and she still looks like that. It's not like she is using the shapeshifting ability that we alluded to earlier, and it's it's never used properly. Like
1: wait, wait, no, she must be. She must be using her shapeshifting ability, but only to turn her skin non-silver. You think it must.
0: She must Did, be doing that. She didn't go up to the ship and just painted herself with some silver get up because that's what her society does. It's like No, I think, on, exen- on some lippy. <laughs> I think that's
1: I think that's I think this is what she looks like. And I mean she changes her clothes as well. She's suddenly wearing a different dress. She changes outfit and she changes skin tone.
0: So you you think
1: I think ten- this is what she normally looks like.
0: And she's been using the shapeshifting to present herself as a human, the Vivian Faye human. It's the
1: only explanation I can think of. And I, th- I think it also... I mean, the fact that she can do that and the fact that she... Now I'm thinking maybe she actually pushed Romana and she pretended to look like the Doctor as opposed to the Rocky Balboas. The fact that she can do all that, but she doesn't change her face over hundreds of years <laughs> in a small community baffles me.
0: Yes, that, that's a big gaping hole.
1: Hey, or well. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not 100% sure, but what I can tell you is that my very last note for part three is silver lady. I like there's something I didn't know about myself. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I've got a fun bit of trivia, and um, with your permission, I'm just going to read this paragraph, this is from IMDb or Todd's I think probably IMDb. For location shooting, K9 was equipped with a small microphone and speaker so that John Leeson could hear and interact with the other actors from a van parked nearby. One day, while waiting for a scene to be set up, Tom Baker sat down near K9 and ba- began working on the Times Crosswords, which was Leeson's hobby, conversing with Leeson through the remote link, and Leeson remained in the character throughout. He was later told that several young fans, who had come by to watch the production, were quite amazed by what appeared to be the Doctor and K9 working on the puzzle together.
0: <laughs> oh, that's amazing. That's just
1: the sweetest thing. <laughs> Anything else other Otherwise, I've only got a couple of observations about the very end of this.
0: I don't know if I've got anything really to jump with, so go for it.
1: Okay, well, in that case, super-duper quickly, I think it's very, very nice that we get this kind of ending with the professor, with Rumford, um, Estelle Getty, because we haven't had this kind of ending in a long time, I feel. In her case, what she does is she says, um, oh, well, I do have my academic reputation to consider. But what this harkens back to is... The kind of serial ending that we got a lot with, I want to say, Troughton. Um, Yeah, probably Hartnell and Troughton, certainly. Whereby someone would look at the TARDIS, the TARDIS dematerializes, and then their immediate reaction would just be, oh, wow, people are going to think that we're crazy. Let's never tell anyone about this. Oh, right. And it felt very much like that classic ending. So I really enjoyed that. My other observation about the very ending is: Oh dear, the professor's not wearing a bra because holy moly, those are some seriously stiff nips. All right, <laughs> I'm done. Uh... <laughs> Shall we rate this? Sure. <laughs> and now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong bing bong. Hey la 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 la. Ratings. L- As the loser of the index finger on tip of nose game, I'm afraid it falls loser. on me. <laughs> loser. <laughs> It falls on me to start off with my rating, which I have already changed uh, since before we pressed records. I'm going to be super duper quick about this. So, okay, here goes. Tom Baker, the Doctor, I find him to be on top form, uh, in particular in his interactions with, we've already talked about this, but in particular in his interactions with Estelle Getty, Professor Rumford. Romana is fine, but I maintain that she is underused. I feel like they could have done more with her. But... When she is on screen, she she does a, a good job. I'm, most of all, about this serial, I am really, really enjoying The Golden Girls. I love The Professor, I love Blanche Devereaux, I think they're so over-the-top, so redonkulous, such almost, yeah, caricaturistic parodies- of these archetypes that they are embodying, but they do so with such flair and such panache. I love it. Romford is another one of these characters that I could very happily see return in. I don't know what exactly. Probably I'm going to do the safe thing and say probably a big finish audio. <laughs> you know what? Even the rock chaps, the Rocky Balboas, I think they're cool. But that's just because they're so different. It's it's. I like that we get the scientific. We didn't really talk about this, but we get the scientific explanation of they are silicon based life. Form, they they work differently, they require the globulin, blah blah blah. So hence silicon life form, hence they are Stonehenge just they're henge stones. I think they're cool, I think it works. However, the thing is everything feels a little flat for me. The hyperspace subplot not explored at all, although that is arguably where most of the potential lies for this serial. We don't find out why there were druids, and what happened to the ones who bolted, or why they bolted, or who they were, or where they are, etc, etc. Why was What's-Her-Face arrested in the first place? What was her plan before? What was her plan after the arrest and after the escape? How did people find out about her? Why... what? That There are so many unanswered questions here. Shapeshifting, yada, yada, yada. So, anyway, summa summarum, I am marking this up for the Hammer Horror ambience and the setting and the geriatric academic and the sci-fi potential. But I'm marking it down for the latter being squanders in my eyes. Now, I originally, before we sat down to talk about this, I had put down 3.0 for this. I have since, per your advice, looked at the ratings on com, which everyone should, podcast land, and I have decided to take that down to a 2.4, and the reason for that is that it is very similar in theme to The Daemons, which I gave a 2.5, but I find The Daemons much more entertaining. I will rewatch that before I rewatch this. So yeah, 2.4 from me.
0: Nice. Ooh, just uh, adjusting my rating slightly <laughs> <laughs> awesome awesome review there thank you leon
1: why thank you jim
0: well okay that is me then what did i think of this weird mishmash of sci-fi cultism hammer horror well the thing that stood out to me at the end why i was kind of deciding i probably did like it more than hate it Uh, that's what I felt like at the end of it, was actually there's a lot of fun dialogue, a lot of dialogue that Mm. shows off the interplay between the characters quite well and genuinely made me laugh, laugh out loud, which I think has been missing a bit maybe in... uh, in the classic Doctor Who of, of late, as we've been reviewing. Pirate Planet, maybe not withstanding. Yeah, so there's definitely plus points for that. Um, Good point, yeah. You yourself, Leon, pointed out how female-led this serial is, which definitely has to get plus points. And it didn't feel like it was lip service either. Like, all of the, the characters were important and interacted together importantly. And with the doctor and, you know, they were all part of a the story. They weren't just there to prop something up or what have you. And yeah, I mean, I think you're right to single out the professor the way she just kind of put a little twist on the the Professor Bumbletron um, <laughs> trope and... Yeah, I think there was there was more lovable humour in that character than they often get with that type of character. Um, I I warmed to her very quickly after immediately hating her, which was quite weird.
1: <laughs> That's normally the opposite. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I don't know if I particularly liked the send off. I totally get what you were saying about it's a kind of the intense. nips. Oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> sorry sorry no i didn't like that uh, i've seen the screenshot now <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's an intentional reverse sort of how they used to end some of the other serials with people kind of going oh we can never talk about this no one would ever believe us um yeah the, it's a nice thing to address i d- still felt it was a bit ham-fisted and didn't really add a lot yeah we haven't really talked a lot about canine canine was a very important part of this serial and I'm still really enjoying K-9, I think possibly turning into a little bit of what the Sonic is in New Who, where if there's someone who, like there's an antagonist who is maybe willing to shoot at the doctor and, and companion or has a force that they just don't know how to outthink, K-9 turns up and shoots things or K-9 turns up and does a force field um so uh, yeah i'm hoping maybe they can find a, a bit of a better balance uh, in this one I, I kind of let it slide i think they established canine was there to to be the muscle but also had some lovely comedy moments as well i think by far the biggest problem with this serial though is the sheer number of plot holes which i don't think i'd fully put my brain to i think before we sat down to discuss this i was actually in a similar kind of mindset of a three point oh kind of okay kind of rating we have ripped this apart a bit we've discovered things are just there because they thought they should be or things are there because there was a bigger story which they edited out who knows you know the fact that there are crows sat around the set all over the time they are referred to in a lot of dialogue but basically do nothing it's just it's hamming up the hammer horror um (laughs) without real substance and it's yeah so things like that the fact that the stone monsters are left as just stones that just shuffle along the floor like the glowing effect they have I kind of liked I kind of like the stupid cheesy way they just burst through a door um but they're not not a very threatening monster they're not very well explained they're not very well used um Vivian Faye I think you've uncovered the biggest plot hole possible with you know why the hell she is there What oh she's I'm so doing. sorry <laughs> no it's it's totally legitimate to you know to not let them get away with that so you have to have to knock off some points for that i i personally quite enjoyed the, all of the stuff on the spaceship i yes the um megara were a little bit drawn out in the courtroom scene but i, I was enjoying for the most part just the straight comedy kind of aspect of it like we we're not, I don't know, I didn't feel like we were We were worried about how the Doctor's going to get out of this, because the Doctor was just continually kind of playing with them and, and not quite maybe enjoying it. It looked like he was worried from time to time, but yeah, that, that whole interplay was, was quite nice and um, I kind of enjoyed getting that as a nice flip side to having the Hammer Horror intro through the first couple of episodes. But it's a weird thing to mesh together. It doesn't mishmash together that well. There are holes all over the shop. So from the heights of Around the three mark, aka better than average. I've had to go below average, like Ah. yourself. I've gone a little bit lower down. I'm going to give it a 2.2. Oh,
1: all right.
0: Interestingly, I had slung shot all the way down to 1.9 to then come back after your review.
1: (laughs) Holy moly. Oh, well, in that case, I take back my apologies and uh, substitute them with a you're welcome. (laughs) So we have tons of listener minis. Shall we uh, have a listen to those, maybe? Of course. No now let's hear from Podcast Land, Max 250, or it would get out of hand. Writer Rooney and hyperspace cheese nozzles we have eight listener minis for this one.
0: Oh my goodness oh,
1: holy moly thank you everyone in podcast land for sending these in oh I'm feeling the love this is good stuff right first out of the gates, we've got Chris Tapps Paddock
0: hey there Chris Tapps
1: hello Chris Tapps Chris Tapps starts the hits just keep on coming sometimes called a feminist story which isn't exactly true this serial still stands out for having a woman be the local genius professor, though the cut rate silver finger makeup is <laughs> silver finger, nice makeup is a bit less impressive
0: Aww. still, says Chris Tapps, this story oozes atmosphere, with the ravens, the Celtic pagan themes, the 70s horror vibes, the opening scene of campers getting attacked in their tent, Mm-mm. and it is eminently rewatchable the hyperspace scenes I'm the trial don't work quite as well, but who cares they're still good fun Great performances by all as well. And Chris Apps gives this, what, Leon?
1: Holy moly, he gives this 4.2.
0: Wowzers.
1: <laughs> Wowzers in my trousers, Chris Apps. Holy moly, 4.2. <laughs> Big hearts. Spoiler alert, it turns out Podcastland has a huge heart. <laughs> Jim and I don't. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes, we may have glanced at the other, other ratings. We know, <laughs> we know you love this more than we do. <laughs>
1: Thank you very much, Chris Tabs. Next up, we've got Peter Zunich.
0: It's the Zoonmeister.
1: Hello, Peter. Hey
0: there, Peter. Peter starts. In many ways, this story embodies classic Who as a whole. The sci-fi, both hard and fantastical. There's a little mystery, a little psychic, culture, myth, and more than one really great character. Although, if you look closely at it, most of them don't ultimately do much.
1: One interesting observation, if you discount K9, then there are an equal number of female speaking parts in this story as there are male. More if you discount the Megara.
0: Mm, that is an interesting observation. Yeah. Peter continues, the ogre are a surprisingly great monster. Seriously, I'm shocked that I like rocks as henchmen. <laughs> the Justice Machines are utterly fascinating, and they too earn a vote for a character I want to return in Modern Who. I'd love the ogre to return as well, but I wholeheartedly believe that New Who would just get them totally wrong.
1: Uh, I think that's probably true, unfortunately. Peter continues, rewriting this retroactively, I'd pick up the pace and add more action. There should also be better connection between the Kaliach and Cesare. If she has all this power and has lived for so long, why is she just hanging around a stone circle on Earth in a bird suit? Yes! Peter, exactly. (laughs) Why not use her power for, well, anything? Ultimately, it's irrelevant, but it would have rounded the world building
0: nicely. Indeed. Anyhow, concludes Peter, I'm off to my alternate dimension to eat some lemons. (laughs) Before I go, though, let me steal that pendant off your neck that I have no way of actually knowing is the answer to everything besides three scenes where you're fondling it. and peter would conclude this entirely with a rating of
1: 3.4 lovely excellent excellent rating excellent mini thank you very much peter thank you peter next up we've got jim the fish (laughs) jim jim (laughs) this deliriously absurd yet very entertaining story was the goddamn 100th story of the show says jim the fish the Megara Justice Machines are the best argument for treating Classic Who as merely a filmed stage play, instead of a real television program. They, they're portrayed on screen with just some swirly, shiny effects that was probably made with a pinwheel and a blue screen, then badly matted. Their voices probably recorded just off-frame by two actors sitting on a stool in their bathrobes or something. Being British, maybe they sip tea during it too.
0: Hey, (laughs) of course they sip tea
1: during the (laughs) night. They were awake, weren't they? (laughs) (laughs) The Megara justice machines are the best. Seriously, this is what Who is about.
0: Nice. Jim continues, having a standard horror movie plotline suddenly stop Stone Cold Dead and turn into a courtroom drama. Sounds like a recipe for goddamn disaster. But when it's done with two judges that are cheesy, swirling special effects, an evil alien lady wearing silver grease paint. Hello. As as the wheat. Wi- <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> wearing silver grease paint as the witness and Tom Baker for the defense making jokes. It totally works.
1: The fourth episode of the 100th story of the program, broadcast during the 15th anniversary week, and how did they choose to mark it? They did the motherfucking show, says Jim the Fish. No overhyped plotline about Daleks or Cybermen. No dumb multi-doctor reunions where they stand around drinking punch and shaking the hands of every person who's ever worked on the show. They just did the show and went with a balls to the walls lunatic idea of a courtroom scene for the entire entire goddamn episode and it was goddamn fun and he gives it what jim
0: jim gives this 4.7 out of 5
1: wow (laughs) huge your heart huge
0: (laughs) it is very huge i hope it's huge enough to forgive us for our indulgence on our 300th episode (laughs) oh yes
1: (laughs) thank you very much jim the fish thank you jim next up who we got jim
0: why, we've got a little uh, flavor-giver in the name of Phil Salter!
1: What up, Phil?
0: Hey there, Phil. What the hell is this? Says Phil. <laughs> a story about bloodthirsty stones and space law. That's what! It's a strange tale of two halves. You go in thinking you get a gothic horror small English village story, but you end up with some strange space-based legal case. <laughs> thing. <laughs> Frankly, the first half is more exciting than the second. Several unrelated points follow.
1: First point, Romana's hat was very golfy, but those shoes, no, it's just too silly.
0: Stone Monsters drinking blood looks a bit naff, but it's creatively inspired. The camping scene was particularly brutal. My wife hated it.
1: (laughs) Professor Romford is one of the best characters in the history of Doctor Who. Her hate for Henry Morgan is amazing. That fool. (laughs)
0: Uh, Point number four. Who needs to remember tennis?
1: <laughs> oh yeah. Next point. The heavy reassertion of the arcing plot is the thing.
0: And the last point: a tale of two halves. I give it a
1: 2.4! Excellent rating, Phil. <laughs> that is a spot on mark. Nice one. <laughs> That's where your friend is that agrees with
0: you. <laughs> there he is. <laughs>
1: Uh, Phil adds, in terms of Twitter shoutouts Twitter? Yes, it's just Twitter It's aligned with various points on the horizon giving you sunrise and moonrise at different times of the year Quite wow. Yes, yes quite. Let, me, let me
0: just mull on that and zen for a while
1: <laughs> Thank you very much, Phil Good, good stuff
0: Thank you, Phil Ooh, next, who have we got? We have got the Dr. Gamer.
1: What up, the Dr. Gamer?
0: The Dr. Gamer starts. I didn't rewatch this one as I got the box set about a month ago. Brag. I watched it then. (laughs) But I remember that this story features a witch dressed completely in silver.
1: Hello. And a cult based on a bird.
0: And a hyperspace courtroom drama with sparkling Toclophane.
1: Oh yeah. Setting that aside, says the Dr. Gamer, this is definitely good. And the Dr. Gamer adds some... Non boofs. First non boof. <laughs> the characters in this story are kind of interesting.
0: Next non boof. The stones moving around are cool, I guess.
1: And last non boof. The set of the spaceship was very well designed, in my opinion.
0: Okay, but now we do get some real boofs. <laughs> <laughs> Due to the budget, it would be very easy for someone to lose focus or not understand what was going on. But I guess that was just who back then?
1: Love it. (laughs) (laughs) And second and last boof, the silver witch person barely got any screen time or development. Yeah, true.
0: Yeah. And overall, says the Dr. Gamer, this is a fun, exciting story with lots of things to love about it. And Dr. Gamer's given this 4.0 discount to (sighs) Clophanes.
1: That's a great mini. I'm sighing not about your rating. I'm sorry about our ratings. <laughs> that is some good, good stuff. Thank you very much, the Dr. Gamer. People who are not the Dr. Gamer, tell the Dr. Gamer how good his stuff is. Dr. Gamer can be found at Dr. Gamer 789. That did not sink. Nope. <laughs> Next up, we've got Paul Warren. Hello there, Paul. Paul starts after a couple of stories which perhaps went a bit over the top on the comedy front. The Stones of Blood makes a move back to seriousness and a touch of the horror that we used to see in the Hinchcliffe era.
0: The first time I watched this story, I was a bit wary of the ogre as they work well in the novel, but could have failed miserably on screen due to poor special effects. Ooh. As it turns out... They are a menacing enemy, and the scene where they refuel themselves on the campers would probably have given me nightmares if I had watched this as a child.
1: The Megara are an interesting concept, and the trial of the Doctor gives Baker a chance to show off. It's never entirely clear why removing the seals on their capsule is a capital offence, though, or even why they are sealed in if they are not
0: prisoners. Yeah, I know! Yeah, I just kind of felt like it was they get stored away in a safety box. oh you think so you
1: don't think that at some point mid-journey she breaks out of her cell and puts them in a different cell
0: it's possible but it doesn't fit with the crime aspect yeah that's true anywho on on to the rest of paul's review (laughs) professor rumford and vivian Fay are both excellent guest characters i love how enthusiastic rumford is about everything and how she is willing and able to accept a lot of new concepts very quickly as the only human who survives to the end
1: The only downside is that Romana's character is weaker than in previous stories, but she gets a fantastic one next time to make up for it. Ooh, looking forward to that.
0: Mm -hmm. Overall, concludes Paul, a solid story which dips a bit towards the end, but is enjoyable nonetheless. 3.5 out of 5.
1: Ah, solid. Solid rating. Thank you very much, Paul fantastic mini as always people who are not paul please high five paul online paul can be found at p Waring. that's p wearing <laughs>
0: <laughs> nice stuff thank you paul
1: thank you writer rooney next up we've got joe ford what up joe ford
0: hello joe ford
1: aka Wait. doc oho of doc oho reviews
0: this is aka doc oho And is this the first time we are reading stuff from Joe?
1: I believe so, which means we have a new New reviewer. reviewer. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, Joe. Joe says, this is from the pages of my very own Doc Oho reviews. The Stones of Blood pretty much sums up Doctor Who perfectly. Two parts creepy horror, one part glowing domestic drama, and one part science fiction madness. Lots of quality performances, and even the odd duff bit. (laughs) (laughs) David Fisher bursts onto the scene with potentially the wittiest script in Doctor Who, crammed full of sparkling, eminently quotable dialogue that the actors savour.
0: And Joe continues, I can still remember one evening my mum came home after having a really bad day, And she watched this story with me and laughed herself silly and went to bed singing its praises. And I can't imagine a harsher critic of Doctor Who. (laughs) Wow. That's really sweet. Yeah. It's ridiculously entertaining throughout with some notable direction and effortless changes of tone. Matching the quality of the first two stories of the Key to Time season, this fun thriller isn't even my favorite story of the year. (gasps) What Oh my goodness. What will we'll be then? Because Joe gives this uh
1: four point 0. oh <laughs> <laughs> holy moly loving it Joe loving it
0: <laughs> awesome
1: Thank you very much for sending that in People who are not Joe First off, I mean, seriously Say hi to Joe on Twitter Joe can be found as Doc Oho That's Doc o. oh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> It's true, it is true <laughs> But
1: also, please check out Doc Oho Reviews, which is simply fantastic. It's really, really cool. And I'm not just saying that because there's a great review of who back when on there. I'm saying that in general. It is a freaking amazing blog. Thank you very much, Joe.
0: Next up and last up. Oh, yes. We have got Michael Ridgeway. 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 <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's really difficult to sync up over Skype. <laughs>
0: It sounded insane to me. I don't know if it is. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Hello, Michael.
0: Hello there, Michael.
1: Michael starts with some likes. Like number one Killer Stones. They look laughably rubbish now, but they were, presumably, the weeping angels of the time in creepiness.
0: Ooh, very true. I think Marie was actually watch, half-watching this in the background as she questioned whether these were the precursors to the Weeping Angels. Oh,
1: interesting. I like it.
0: Michael Ridgeway's next like, canine taking on the stone and getting clobbered.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, next like, the doctor smashing a seal with the sonic screwdriver. Best use of a sonic ever. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, agreed. Uh, the cheeky Wurren cameo is the next like,
1: Closely followed by the bickering justice alien thingies Mm,
0: Yeah Good stuff But of course there are some Boofs Silicon lifeforms and hidden future tech Feel familiar Fourth Doctor Tropes Oh
1: yes, good point As well as The gothic horror has clearly been toned down since, say, Pyramids of Mars A few years back and the stones would have been brutally crushing the life out of hapless campers
0: True they would have been using their bustiness to crush, kill, destroy. <laughs> and Michael has a summary for us. The Lunacy of the Pirate Planet was a tough act to follow, but this is a nice little adventure that I struggled to find offensive.
1: And he gives it a rating of 3.1 out of 5. Sex-crazed campers being eaten by killer stones. Ouch. <laughs>
0: and also, mmm, oh, hello. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Super duper good, mini. Thank you very much, Michael. Please, if you happen to not be Michael, Fred, not you, can say hello to Michael and please do and say hi from us. Michael can be found at bad underscore movie underscore club.
0: No more underscores.
1: Correcto mundo. Right.
0: Well, I, I I think
1: that neatly summarizes this Stones of Blood soiree.
0: I think so too.
1: What do we got coming up next?
0: Ooh. Next, we have most likely a new Who, I would imagine, which would be Flatline.
1: That's right. The 250th Doctor Who story. Wow. After which, we're probably back in classic country with the androids of Tara. And at some point, we'll probably do an audio as well. Who knows? It'll be a double feature, namely Deimos and the resurrection of Mars.
0: Awesome stuff. I've
1: had a blast tonight, by the way.
0: Why? So have I. (laughs) Even if I can't make it sound like I have,
1: <laughs> <laughs> that did not sound sincere. <laughs> well, in fact, I've had such a blast that I would really like to be able to say hello to you online. How could I possibly do that?
0: Why well, you could uh, dial that Twitter box up and go to Aunt Jimmy the Who.
1: Okay, so I'm getting my Twitter box. I'm dialing. I'm picturing it has a rotary dial, right? So I, I of course,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> Jimmy the Who, you say.
0: That's correct, yes.
1: Nice one, just making sure. You can say hi to me as well. High-five me online, I will high-five you right back. I'm at Ponkin. Figure out how to spell it. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening, Podcast Land. As always, you've been a lovely audience. Uh, Until the next time, please be rad and excellent to each other. We haven't said, by the way, but please stay safe in these very turbulent times. Rock on and
0: cha-chao. Take care, everyone. Stay safe. See ya.